is Dialogue with Drake and Debu. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Sweta Debu. This is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. Our topic for the day is Black History Month. So Black History Month first started in 1926 in the United States by Black historian Carter G. Woodson. They wanted to focus on celebrating the accomplishments of African Americans. Now, February specifically was chosen as the month to celebrate Black history because of two prominent figures. The first, an anti-slavery and women's rights activist, Frederick Douglass, and former U.S. President Abraham Lincoln, who fought to end slavery in the United States. Now, both these individuals celebrated their birthdays in February. Looking at Canada, it's in December 1995 that Dr. Jean Augustine, who was the first Black female MP and cabinet minister, who she, when she championed the establishment of Black History Month in Canada by putting forward the motion that this house take note of the important contribution of Black Canadians towards the settlement, growth, and development of Canada, the diversity of the Black community in Canada, and its importance to the history of this country. This motion carried unanimously. Hmm. However, as we know and have we seen in the last year, Black lives not only matter in February, but all year round. However, Black people continue to be systemically disadvantaged against facing higher rates of police brutality and lower rates of representation in education when specifically looking at Black history. On PEI, the Black Cultural Society has taken on a leadership role since 2016 to represent, support, and advocate for the growing Black community on PEI. They recently gained nonprofit status in January 2021 and have been at the forefront of advocacy and programming for a significant amount of time. They have also recently launched a Black business directory showcasing Black-owned businesses on PEI, as well as had a hand in launching The Block, a magazine looking at Black culture and entertainment. Our special guest today is the member at large of the Black Cultural Society of PEI Board, founder of the Atlantic Student Development Alliance and Overtime Management Group, a 30 under 30 Atlantic innovator, UPEI grad, part-time soccer player, full-time fashionista, and our great friend, Daniel Ohegbu. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Our first question for you is, how are you doing? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Sweda. Thank you, Emma. Um, it's an honor to be here. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, it's a Sunday afternoon. Can't complain. Uh, Monday is a holiday, like we were speaking before. <laughs> so I'm super excited to get, I guess, a longer sleep tonight. So, but other than that, yeah, I'm doing great. Everything is good. So how are you guys doing? We're doing great. I think my favorite Mondays are the Mondays where there's a holiday. So I'm looking forward to that. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So thanks again for being with us. Um, and now we'll get into our more, I wouldn't say serious questions, but like we'll get into the stuff that we're here to talk about. So, you know, number one, you're here today to kind of represent the Black Cultural Society of PEI. And, you know, on the website of the Black Cultural Society, it states that uh, the Black Cultural Society of Prince Edward Island, BCS PEI, was founded in 2016 because of the gap left by the dissolution of, Le of the Black Islanders Cooperative and the growing
growing need for an organization to represent, support, and advocate for the growing Black community on Prince Edward Island, as well as descendants of Black Islanders. So I was wondering if you could give us some insight into the initial process of setting up the Black Cultural Society, as well as what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you've seen over the years? Um, so yeah, originally, um, I came into PEI in 2014, January. And so, yeah, so fast forward into 2016, uh, that was when I believe Sarah had come back. So Sarah Tamula, Scott Parsons, Kendi, and also Dante were kind of like the original, um, uh, I guess, creators of the Black Culture Society. Uh, again, looking at the gaps that you had uh, highlighted earlier on. And um, yeah, so this, the focus had in 2016, uh, then I was still at UPI. Uh, was kind of like again using like black leveraging Black History Month, you know, to create programming events to, you know, engage in dialogue uh, to create some form of like support and, you know, again just do what they could do at that moment and eventually begin to grow capacity. Uh, so internally, I believe uh, Sarah left the island uh, and then came back and moved back to PI with her family in 2018. Uh, so again, there was kind of like that gap where nothing was happening. No one was hearing from the Black community. No organization, again, to represent the Black community and to, you know, engage with, uh, you know, events programming for the Black community. Uh, so since uh, Sarah had started something earlier on, it was just kind of like uh, since Sarah Scott and Kendi had started something earlier on, and it was just kind of continuing on that uh, level. Uh, so I, I believe then she reached out to a series of other community members within the Black community as well. And I was included at that time. Uh, so we, we started having uh, recurring meetings in, uh, in 2018. So we started having recurring meetings, trying to plan, uh, you know, for the next Black History Month, you know, trying to plan for the organization, trying to, uh, I guess, rejuvenate the organization back to where it should be. Uh, so that was uh, kind of like the preliminary um, foundation, or I guess the backstory of that. And then, so that was where I came in, CJ came in, Tamara came in. So again, like it was a bunch of us that came in, but then the meeting started happening recurrently. And then, you know, like then it then became us four in that sense. Mm -hmm. And then it was, uh, again, we were a volunteer board, um, you know, like just again, taking the time out of our day resources and whatever we could do to you know set up like events for black history month and again like there was uh there was so there was expertise you know like uh within the organization as well to you know access partnerships and stuff like that too so mm -hmm. yeah yeah well it's evolved so much really from that initial inception in 2016 i mean so mm -hmm. much um in terms of you know those initial board members and now new board members such as yourself it's is really i think come a long way and we know recently yeah. uh, black cultural society was incorporated and received that nonprofit status in january 2021 and of course tamara Steele you know, an icon here on PEI and, and everyone recognizes it and celebrates. She became the first ever executive director of the Black Culture Society. And as you had mentioned, you know, prior to this, prior to 2021, 
and from 2016 it was totally volunteer run so this mm. was a, a really big shift can you describe to us you know what does that incorporation mean and what does that mean to have uh, Tamara as the first ever full-time executive director and you know how does this impact the organization and the essential work they do oh uh, geez um great question um it's uh it, like yeah the shift was it's amazing right like it's it's amazing because like as a volunteer board uh we were we we did a lot we did a lot and there was only as much as we could do and that's kind of like yeah. how i'll put it because again you're a volunteer board you have like your full-time jobs or your full-time job you have your family you have like so much else going on with life and stuff but you're also trying to create time uh to work on this organization and then there's something about like not being uh i guess incorporated as a not-for-profit where like you know there are also limitations to opportunities and resources that you can access as well mm -hmm. uh but again we made due of uh, what we could and to create the best we could at that time uh so there was a lot of challenges in regards to capacity with uh, a volunteer board but again like the team is a dream team like the board you see <laughs> it's a dream team we are we are a big family, and if CJ is gonna hear this, he we he usually calls us the raggedy team, the raggedy raggedy team, <laughs> <laughs> because one way or the other, we just come together to make it happen, right? And yeah, so having Tamara as the ED was and is a no-brainer. Tamara is a force to reckon with, and yeah, you know, like with her passion, enthusiasm, her joy, her compassion to you know, serve the community and to bring people together and to you know make things happen is like her vision is just you know like it's amazing to see so um as an organization is very like it's very satisfying to see and especially for you know looking at sarah looking at scott looking at candy the pioneers of this organization i know like it was a very emotional process like our strategic planning process was very emotional our um you know when we eventually got our status as not-for-profit from a cooperative and when um tamara finally became the ED like there was a lot of emotions across the room just because yeah. again seeing this organization come from like you know where it came from like the origination yeah. of what it was before to an actual organization that, that you know like now has some capacity to now create more and do more and grow more as an organization like yeah it was it was a very emotional process and thinking about it now like I'm getting goosebumps actually so <laughs> me because too I could, <laughs> I could relive that moment every day and yeah but um yeah like it's it's great to have uh the capacity that we have now like uh 20 uh, 2020 happened uh you know like the killing of george floyd uh, which inspired a lot across the world globally um we could see that here in pia as well and even like right now like i had someone ask me this question actually um just today actually this afternoon where it was like Looking at PEI before I came here in 2014, before 2014, you could probably count the number of, you know, black or BIPOC folks in PEI, you know, like, and looking at how it has grown over the years, you know, like we're seeing an influx of immigration with students, with families, and the list goes on, right? And so having an organization like Black Cultural Society in its capacity and in its growing capacity to, you know, be an organization that represents, supports this community and has a voice, you know, like to advocate for this community in a systemic level, like it's, mm. it goes a long way. And I, I hope like there is so much work to be done 
but I hope like, you know, like this is a beacon of hope for, you know, like the black community here in PI and not just the black community, but I think the BIFOR community as well to see, you know, that there's an opportunity for, you know, more collaborations to happen, you know, like for the, you know, for our community to now have like a voice that they can speak and then we can take mm. that as an organization and then turn that into an action, right? Or into a plan. So yeah, there's a lot of optimism and I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And like, I think it's really exciting to see all of it happen and to see, you know, the organization build up capacity and, you know, build yeah. up the capacity to do better. But you know, this last year, obviously, has been a very big year when it comes to public mobilization, when it comes to grassroots advocacy. We know in June of 2020, there were over 10,000 people that were at the peaceful march to end systemic racism. Uh, you know, as part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And this was followed by a petition from the Black Cultural Society, which was signed by over 2,200 Islanders and then tabled by PEI's first Black MLA, Gordon McNeely, which called for the government of Prince Edward Island to perform an extensive review of all legislation and policies, applying an inclusive and racially focused lens with an immediate focus on education, healthcare, well-being, and job security. And you know, we're out, we're eight months out now uh, since this historic petition has been tabled. Mm. So, you know, we have to ask, what has the follow-up been like? Um Again, I think uh, Tamara would be the best person to answer that question. And like, and when I mean by answering the question, like go in depth into, I guess, you know, like giving you uh, an explanation of like what the process has been like and what the updates are. Um, but um, the follow up has been uh, has been it's been it's been ongoing. It's, it is still ongoing. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, like, uh, again, interpersonal and systemic, you know, inequalities and inequities, you know, when you come to, you know, like resources and opportunities that serve different communities across PEI. Uh, so the follow-up is still in process and there's still a lot of work to be done in that sense. Again, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, after that submission of, after the submission of that petition, you know, the conversation started and, you know, like the conversation is still ongoing, but some things have been uh or i would say like some things are kind of like in motion but not where we would like it to be and again tamara would be the best person to speak on this um but also there's a lot of, there has been a lot of distractions with other you know other uh things coming up uh that the organization has to attend to you know at that time yeah. too uh we had to leave some things behind to focus on our strategic plan and our strategic plan took us, uh, I think, about three, four, three to five months to to complete. Uh, so um, again, it's still ongoing, but um, I believe yeah, Tamara would be the best person to provide like an in-depth analysis of the progress so far. Mm -hmm. Awesome, absolutely. And you know, uh, initially when this petition was tabled, we identified education, healthcare, well-being, and job security as being some policy areas that the Black Cultural Society um, was at was asking government to act on. So do you find that these policy areas are still very much relevant today? Is there any new policy areas that you think, you know, could be advocated on? Oh, geez, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, there's a lot, like when it comes to, uh, I guess, advocacy and and you know like policies that do affect you know like the black and bipolar community there's a lot that still has to be done and again like personally and i speak this personally and 
you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and we may not be able to mm-hmm. achieve all of this in a day, but I am hopeful that we will continue this conversation. Um, we And I think I, I would like to put some of this into perspective when we talk about policies that affect the Black community. We have to understand that there is a huge diversity within the Black community. We're all not from the same place. Absolutely. You know, so many people make that assumption that like, you know, you're Black, then you're all from the same spot but we're not from the same place we have folks from the continent of africa we have folks from folks from the caribbeans we have folks from uh pei north america or like uh, other parts of canada who, who are here as well we have folks from the us who are here we have like different identities of like you know the black identity that are here right so again like the systemic inequalities and inequities you know they interact and they intersect with these yeah. different identities so when we are advocating for policies and for you know reformations or for additions or for subtractions like we are advocating because they are intersecting identities within the black community and yes. some some policies are not favorable to international students but they are favorable to can uh, to like canadians who are still black and still enjoy the, you know so again so that's kind of like where those uh, advocacies are coming so as an organization there is a lot of work to be done and uh we know that and it, it used to it, it is overwhelming sometimes especially when we were a volunteer board where like uh, we, you know, when you kind of paint that big picture and you're like, oh, damn, when are we, <laughs> how is this going to happen? When are we going to do this? Yeah. But um, yeah, I just wanted to put that into context because sometimes it seems that like, um, you know, like I, like I've heard and I've also like have people ask me that like, you know, like, why is it like, it seems that like the, like the black community is always asking for too much or always trying to like, you know, but again, like there are different intersecting identities and different peoples within the black community. And we all don't see like we all don't experience it the same way. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the work is ongoing, I hope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's something that really in the last, you know, I think year when I reflect back on, you know, Black History Month 2020 and now back to 2021, it's so important, those nuances with the intersecting and diverse identities within the black community. Like, like you said, Daniel, like, you know, we can't just talk about, for example, black islanders. We can't just talk mm-hmm. about, you know, folks that are from the African continent. We can't just, you know, talk about folks from the Bahamas, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we, we can't look at these things, you know, in isolation and kind of layer this kind of general kind of solution on top and say great we've solved all issues for black folks you know what i mean like i think that's become really evident um in in the last year and i think that's a a point really well taken um and kind of leading into our next question in regards to just the diverse history when it comes to black folks in Canada, uh, whatever that background may be, this isn't something that's covered in education. You know, when I reflect on my time in um, the public school system here on PEI, the first time I was ever taught about black folks, like black islanders, was in grade 12. And it was an optional course on PEI history. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't even mandatory. And, you know, none of my Canadian history classes or social studies classes did we cover black folks. Not to mention, like, on top of that, even conversations of racial inequalities and, you know, that diversity that exists within the black community. And to your point, like, this is something that really has not been talked about 
kind of from that root level, which is education and, and really throughout that K to 12 system. And I know um, one of the different examples that we've seen in Canada, for example, we had a, an awesome opportunity to talk to our friend Hisodi Raymond from Fredericton uh, with the Black Lives Matter Fredericton group. And one of the things that they worked on in fall 2020 was calling on the provincial government uh, to incorporate content of the history of slavery, segregation, systemic oppression in New Brunswick and Canada into the public school curriculum of New Brunswick. Now, I know this is something that was recognized as a policy priority area for the Black Cultural Society of PEI in 2020. Um, is this something moving forward? I know just kind of at a high level, is education going to continue to be a, a priority? Man, I think that's a that's a great question. <laughs> like I, I take a deep breath when you when you ask that question because I have my own banter with the education and with education and with the academics or with the academia in you know in Canada because again coming from Nigeria, West Africa, I expected better. I did expect better because you know, like you you grow up, you're being told that like, you know, you you come from a third world country and eventually you're looking up to coming to a first world country where you expect to learn more and know better and then you come here and then you see that like you see the gaps right like and for me too I did not realize these gaps until like my third year my fourth year and you know when I started having some experiences and then digging into my research as well um, so like when we look at Canada it, and I'll start with Canada for example when we look at Canada we look at them um, we always try to deflect you know like systemic the, the systemic race sorry, systemic racism and the history of you know like um coloni colonization the history of like i guess the bloodshed yes. that you know like that has happened and in that sense we always you know deflect that to our neighbors of the south and we say oh the state is a mess the state is a mess but we are neglecting our own front yard basically we can't yep. you know like so you know when we look at the educational system or the education system here like we see that there is a lack of history there's a lack of identity in a sense where the stories are not being told and even if the stories are being told they're being told through a colonial lens uh, yes. You know, so like if you look at our high schools right now, like the, the, the people in high school or the people in the junior high or like or elementary, like we usually back home, we call it primary, secondary and tertiary. Uh, so but the people in like the primary education and secondary, they're not getting anything. They don't know anything about anything about Canada. All they know is Canada is diverse and Canada is multicultural. That is yeah. also in itself a very colonial, uh, I guess, <laughs> a very colonial. And I didn't realize that because. While I was, before I did my research, I always used to, like, my friends call me, like, equity and diversity, because I always used to say, like, oh, I love the diversity. And then when you look deeper into, like, you know, the meaning of diversity and the meaning of multiculturalism in this space, it's a very violent space. It's a very violent meaning. It carries a lot of violence. The immigrant experience is a violent experience. And... Mm -hmm. So in but in an in an academic setting, I think the, the universities could do more definitely. The primary schools could do more. The Ministry of Education in that sense could do more. There's a lot of history in Canada that is not being told. Even specifically in PI, I was so surprised to learn that, especially at the march, that so many people did not know about the bug. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the bug per se as much as I should know, but like at least I have some 
I guess, um, oversight of what the bug is, where it's like the history pertaining to the bug. There were black islanders, there were slave owners in PEI. There was there was a lot of there was a lot of colonization happening here in PEI and in Canada. And those things are not being taught in school. So when we now look at it from like when these folks then grow up into like maybe university or outside of university, when they don't know these basics, it's almost very hard to have that conversation. And then hence, you know, like the topic of racism becomes a very uncomfortable mm. conversation. It's not uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, mm. if we should be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's nothing uncomfortable mm. about racism. Like when I guess when the act was happening, it was not uncomfortable then, but now it's uncomfortable to talk about it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so that's where I come from, right? So it's like, I believe like the, and the Black Culture Society has taken this as an initiative uh, you know, this is something we want to pursue. And I know this Black History Month, Tamar is going to be speaking in, uh, I think, a few schools. Uh, she's going to be speaking ab uh, about, you know, like talking about the history of uh, Black Islanders here in PEI, Black History, the importance and history of Black History Month and stuff like that. Like so many people don't even know why we celebrate Black History Month. So many people don't. And sometimes too, I, I used to be pissed that like, you know, like Black History Month is this month where the media looks for one black person, puts a picture, and then everyone is like, Black History Month. I used to be pissed at, like, I, I still am in a sense, but, you know, like, there's, again, we don't know why we're doing any of this. And because we don't know why, that, like, it's very hard to even look for progress or look yep. for a way to educate mm -hmm. or, it's because people don't even know why they should know this. People don't, so I believe that it's so important and this is something that we should definitely encourage even at UPI, I didn't learn anything about history, about like, like even the, I don't know, I, I, I'm sorry, I just, yeah, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot to say about this, but I think it's, um, it's, it's something that the Black Culture Society has uh, taken uh, as some, it's, it's a very serious uh, situation and initiation for us as well. So we are pursuing this as the, the best we can, and uh, we are going to do what we can, but we hopefully want to also encourage, you know, like, the Ministry of Education, schools, the teachers, professors, lecturers to also work with us because again, it's one of those things where, and this ha this happens and it also happened this month as well. Black History Month is in February and schools are reaching out to us in February, like in the second week and first week of February to start programming. I'm like, what happened to December? What happened to November? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. why can't we start doing this prior to February? So by February, we would have list of programming ready for the kids. Why do you reach out to us? Like, come on, like we have lives, we have other things that we have other programming that we are hopefully trying to work on as well, right? So mm -hmm. again, it's like people just want to check a box. And for me, I'm just like, whenever I see that, I just get tired and mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I just let it go. But mm -hmm. I hope I answered your question. I just, I went mm -hmm. on a rant there. <laughs> no, that was, that was good. And like, you have such an interesting perspective to provide as well. And you make yeah. so many good points. Like, it's true that we need education at every level of education. We can't just focus on one thing because it's not like you know there's no black people in primary school there's suddenly black people in secondary school people of color yeah. are everywhere so absolutely I, you, you make excellent points here but I'm wondering if like you have had the opportunity to make these points to different stakeholders in education and what their feedback has been like like this is just personal curiosity here for instance you uh, know the department of education public schools branch teachers federation or home and school association or even the universities um, so with the Ministry of Education, I think, uh, again, Tamara might be, Tamara will be the first person because uh, she has started that conversation. 
and uh, there's still a lot to be said there and there's still a lot of action to happen there um but with the primary schools and with the secondary schools again like the tokenization is just ridiculous right like it goes in one ear and it comes out in another one yeah. uh where it's like yeah sure we we know we want to do this mm-hmm. but we just don't know how don't know where to and it's almost like it is a priority only in february and after february is not a priority anymore mm-hmm. and yeah so like it's it's very alarming in a sense too and again i think it's the lack of representation and when i mean rep- 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 sorry when i mean representation i just don't mean one black faculty or one black mm-hmm. teacher no mm-hmm. i think it's a lack of representation a diverse representation in you know those positions of power those systemic positions like you know the faculty positions in IUPI or Holland College the primary schools like how many lecturers or teachers do they have that yeah. are even from the BIPOC community, right? Like it's that lack of representation because again, if it doesn't affect you, then why should you care, right? So that's kind of like yes. the mentality we have as humans. Uh, so yeah, I just, I think it should start from there. Let's start hiring more BIPOC folks or even uh, even if we don't want to hire. And again, it doesn't mean that hiring BIPOC folks makes it equitable or inclusive. No, it doesn't even account for that. But I think like, I don't know, like there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, but yeah, let's start like, I guess, developing partnerships. Let's start creating like, you know, equitable and uh, inclusive environments for BIPOC teachers, you know, to also, you know, uh, help advocate for some of these things internally, uh, because it, I believe it's an internal work that has to be done. Uh, the Black Culture Society is and will continue to do what it can to deliver some of this programming to our students mm-hmm. or to the students in that in, in those different like tiers of communities. Uh, uh, but again, a lot of the work has to be supported internally. And if it's not supported internally, it's like, uh, I guess, building a, a house in a rocky foundation. It's probably not mm-hmm. going to it's probably not going to last. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I know we've said people tend to focus on uh, Black Cultural Society only in, in February, but we are now in February as well. And you folks have <laughs> been working on a number of events, uh, you know, panels, uh, luncheons. And so we have to ask about Black History Month and, you know, the incredible programming that Black Cultural Society has been a part of. And I see for our listeners, uh, Danielle here is mimicking a drum roll, so I guess it's exciting <laughs> to talk about that. Um, folks have been doing so much incredible work, like looking at the launch of the Black Business Directory, yeah. looking at the Black Cultural Society being one of the stakeholders of the block, which of course is a new uh, magazine highlighting the it's culture, awesome. lifestyle, art, and entertainment content pertaining to and black by the Black community. So what has this month been like in terms of, you know, event reception, um, anything you'd like to talk to us about? Uh, the month has been great. And uh, again, like so much applause to, you know, Tamara, the board and volunteers again for, you know, all their tireless work and everything. But the month has been great, you know, like uh, for us, you know, seeing kind of like what we've done in the past for us we want to not just focus on black history month which is february but want to see how we can you know at least start something through february and then keep that going keep that ongoing yeah. right so uh the month has been good with like you know a lot of events and activities you know partnering with uh, upi holland college um you know to you know uh create like panel discussions trivia nights for bhm um you know like having the women's luncheon the men's luncheon 
um, having uh, a few elder talks happening as well. It's a bit tricky again because of COVID. Uh, COVID yeah. has made some of our programming and events a bit challenging. And we were not able to, because yeah, this year we were like, yeah, we're going to go all out. And then the pandemic happened last year and then we're like, oh damn, you have to turn it down. Uh, some of the things are virtual while some of the things are limited capacity, but we're trying as much as we can to, you know, live stream the events that we can live stream. Uh, so those, those have been going well. Um, but yeah, again, yeah, the month has been, it is a busy month. Uh, the um, dialogue or the theme for the month is um, Black Heritage, celebrating Black Heritage for the culture. Uh, and I think this ties into our discussion earlier where we want to celebrate the culture and again, I guess, celebrate the different identities that make up the Black uh, community here in PEI. So that was kind of like the purpose and essence of the theme is to highlight the different, you know, identities and the diverse, the diversity that make up uh, uh, the Black community here in PEI. So, but yeah, events, uh, things and programming have been great. Uh, a bit, um, it could be a bit overwhelming in a sense, but nothing yeah. the raggedy team can handle, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that uh, shout outs for CJ there now. <laughs> No, but it's it's been awesome seeing. I know I, I listened to an interview with Tamara last week uh, with the launch of the, yeah. the new uh, Black Business Directory. And she had been saying, like, you know, obviously, like, the month is so busy and, and we weren't mm -hmm. sure if we were going to do it. And then we just said, let's do it. She said yeah. within 24 hours, 25 businesses had already applied to be part of it. Yeah. And so I think that just speaks volumes to, I think, the, I mean, essential role black cultural society is in the PEI community, not just at Black History Month, but all year round. Empowering black businesses is just one example of that and, and supporting them and and in recognizing, you know, if people want to specifically support black businesses, this is exactly where you could go. And, and I'm sure it's grown exponentially since then, but I was just, I was so blown away with that yeah. initial impact and um, there's so much more happening in the upcoming weeks and I think too beyond Black History Month like you folks I think are really just you know getting going like you just incorporated we just got to bear as the <laughs> executive director like things are, are only going up from here and I, I'm I'm really excited but yeah. for listeners Daniel where can folks follow along with the Black Cultural Society on either social media or website anything like mm -hmm. that um, so on um, the website is uh, BCS. So to get like information or to I guess stay on track with like our programming and events, uh, website is um, bcspi.ca. Uh, the Twitter is bcs underscore pei, or bcspi is Twitter. Instagram is um, Black Culture Society. Uh, yeah, Black Culture Society PEI as well on Instagram. Uh, a lot of our information we post on Instagram and also on Facebook for the community as well, which is also the Black Culture Society on Facebook. And yeah, so just website, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find like, you know, the calendar. You can stay tuned with our events, promotions, and everything. And also, I guess, uh, if you also want to get involved as well, like there's a link on our website as well to get involved as either a volunteer or to also donate to the society and mm -hmm. um, yeah, to participate. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. awesome. 
Well, that's great. I, and I know for listeners, we'll include that too in our write-up so that if they want to like copy-paste it, they could go quick yeah. link to BCS. And, and of course, on all our social, we'll be adding at both BCS and of course mm -hmm. you so folks uh, know exactly where to go. Now we're going to transition a little bit. As Sweta <laughs> said, you know, we have to talk about the stuff we're here to talk about, but we also have another essential piece of our show uh, with dialogue, Daniel. As as you know, as we chatted about yeah. before, this is this is the beer segment. Now it's really evolved <laughs> over time. You know, we started off with focusing on movies, restaurants, and music. Then you know, based on popular demand, people wanted to see a beer panel. But I think now, like since those two initial changes, we've evolved to kind of a bit of a hybrid. And so for listeners just so folks know we're gonna allow guests really just to share whatever they want as I say one of my favorite examples is one of our former guests Hunter Gando who is a, a chef at the table he had recommended a vinegar pie you know I thought that Ooh. was so unique and so uh, you know we just want to encourage people to you know share whatever they want to share we know not everyone drinks beer it's not everyone's uh, cup of tea and and that's okay too. just share whatever you want so now Daniel as our special guest we're gonna hand things over to you what would you like to share or recommend to dialogue listeners uh, to dialogue listeners, um, I would like to recommend, uh, can I recommend two things actually? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the first one is, um, uh, check out Ores Bucateria. So for your, um, for anything like, you know, like for your, I guess, West African Nigerian food, uh, check out, uh, Ores Bucateria. She's on Instagram at uh, Ores Bucateria on Instagram as well. And, um, you can also check out, uh, Mama McKenna as well. She uh, cooks at the farmer's market as well out of Africa um, every Saturday and I think some weekdays as well. And she, she also cooks, uh, she also preps at um, the, I think something, the market, the one close to Access PI. The Riverview market. Yeah, the Riverview market. And um, with beer, I'm a huge Heineken guy, but I'm currently <laughs> falling in. <laughs> I'm currently falling in love with the Lone Oak, um, the new what's it called again? I'm just trying to pull it off here. The new fixed link, Lone okay. Oak oh, fixed yeah. link. I I am in love with it. So shout out to Lone Oak and <laughs> and the guys over there. So yeah, but um, yeah, I think yeah, um, that's kind of like my recommendations <laughs> or my tips. So yeah, try them out. Ores Bucateria out of Africa and Lone Oak. Yeah, super dope and super local as well. So always supporting local and yeah, great food and great drink and always a good beer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love yeah. it. <laughs> in, in the many months that we've done this, this is the first time anyone has mentioned Heineken. So I think... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I can go next. Um, I'm going to recommend Upstreet's uh, Mango and Pink Guava Sour. So this is oh, wow. part of the Acres Barrel Series. And the reason why I'm recommending this is because I actually have a new diffuser in my living room right now and I accidentally bought mango scented oil to put in that. So wow. I'm sitting in my living room and it smells like mango and I'm thinking of the summer and that beer goes perfectly with that kind of vibe right now. So <laughs> guava sour is my recommendation. It's very tangy. It's very rich. It's very good. Wow. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say you put the beer in the diffuser oh by mistake. God. I thought that's where that story was going. 
that you're gonna say and it smells great also <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'll try it someday and, and then hit you up and let you know how that went yeah <laughs> no definitely <laughs> Um, so for my beer, I'm going to recommend uh, the Go-Getter ISA from Bogside. I was just oh. there yesterday visiting in, in Montague, uh, one of the two main breweries there. Uh, there's Bogside and, of course, Cobra Bottom, who we've mentioned before. But, um, yeah, it was delicious. Um, the, the staff person there had recommended it, and I, I picked up two cans. And, it's yeah, it's kind of similar. I know listeners who, who listen regularly know that I love the Vic Park and how, you know, <laughs> bitter and citrusy that is this one is also very similar to that it's citrusy grapefruit and tropical mango so um essentially a very similar beer so um i like them bitter and i like them citrusy and the go-getter is exactly that so i uh i would definitely recommend bogside it's delicious and they also have uh famous peppers pizza in that space as well so if folks are looking for homemade pizza and homemade beer it's all in montague so uh definitely mm -hmm. shout out to those folks but yeah, Daniel, this has been a slice. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to add before we, we sign off? Um, again, uh, I guess stay cool, stay jiggy. Um, this, is <laughs> one <of> the, <laughs> this is one of the first podcasts I've, uh, I've uh, ever, I guess, been in. And uh, I'm going out with a few recipes and beers that I'm going to try next week. So I'm a huge fan of, um, I'm a huge fan of this uh, platform and Thank you so much for what you are all doing. And um, again, like I guess, just trying to encourage our community here in PEI to uh, set an example. Uh, we are so small that we can make it happen here and hopefully inspire the rest of the country uh, to, you know, like uh, always, you know, take time to, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself and, you know, mm -hmm. take time to learn about each other, take time to listen to each other, take, uh, take time to I guess share, act, and hopefully come together as a as a as a province and as a community to you know create some very dope stuff over here. I think there's so much mm -hmm. potential and opportunity for good things to happen here. So again, spreading the love, stay cool, stay jiggy, wear your mask, be safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very beautiful. I, I I'm really reflecting on that. I, you know, we started off, you know, laughing, and then it became very serious. But it was, it was a very beautiful message, and uh, you know, from both of us, Sweat and I, it's it's awesome to be able to chat with you, Daniel, and and be able to showcase the awesome work of, of BCS. And just, I think, you know, it's our honor, really. And yeah, we're very thankful that you took the time, and and we'll be able to showcase this. So thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. So thank you. Much. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Daniel, and to the Black Cultural Society of PEI for chatting with us today. This was an absolute honor to have this episode, and we also look forward to chatting with Executive Director Tamara Steele in the near future to discuss BCS further. Our music, as always, is by the incredible Shane Pendergast, and very excitingly, he has a number of shows coming up over the next couple of weeks. First of all, we have Saturday, February 20th, where he'll be at the Merchant Man Next Door Lounge from 5 to 7 p.m. Then we have February 24th, 2021, where he'll be playing with Josh Langill at Evermore Brewery from 7 to 9 p.m. On the 26th, you can find him from 6 to 9 p.m. at PEI Brewing Company. And finally, on February 27th, he'll be at the Beer Garden between 3 and 5 p.m. 
definitely check out those shows of Shane's. He's got new music coming up and definitely worthwhile going to see and to listen. Now, if folks want to keep in contact and keep up with the great work of the Black Cultural Society as we chatted about today, not just in the month of February, but moving forward, check out bcspei.ca. That's their website, bcspei.ca. On Facebook, at Black Cultural Society PEI. On Instagram, at Black Cultural Society PEI. And Twitter, at bcspei. So that's their contact information. And definitely subscribe, like, and follow them on each of those platforms to keep up to date with their great work. Absolutely. And they also have a calendar of events for Black History Month on their various platforms. So definitely check those out. Stay warm, stay safe, everyone. This has been Dialogue. Yeah,